Hello, and welcome to our fourth episode of TASME Time Talks in Medical Education. I'm Dr. Rob Cullum, a GP trainee and podcast lead for TASME. In July, our hashtag MedEd Forum explored the topic of gamification in medical education. And so in this episode of the podcast, we wanted to explore this further. On what was the hottest day on record in the UK, my co-host, Dr. Katie Stevenson, and I were joined by Julie Brown from the University of Cardiff. We heard about her unusual journey into medical education and then explored the growing trend of fun and gamification in medical education, why it works, our own experiences of it, and what the future could and should hold. So make a cup of tea and join us for this episode where we will explore why medical education should be fun. And welcome to episode four of TASME Talks in Medical Education. Um, today we will be talking all about gamification and having fun in medicine, medical education, healthcare. Um, I'm one of your co-hosts for tonight, Katie Stevenson, and I also have Rob here. Hello. <laughs> and tonight's guest is the amazing, incredible Julie Brown. She's absolutely fabulous. She is a senior lecturer in academic practice, course lead for the Intercalated BSc in Medical Education at Cardiff University, co-chair of Cardiff University's Press's editorial board. And um, in 2015, she was awarded the President's Silver Medal of the Academy of Medical Educators for outstanding and sustained contributions to medical education. Her professional background is in academic publishing. And in more recent years, she has been a prominent been prominent in a number of national initiatives to improve the training and recognition of professional healthcare educators. She was one of the developers of the Academy of Medical Educators Professional Standards for Medical, Dental and Veterinary Educators. With Alison Bullock, she wrote The Essential Guide to the Recognition of Trainers, published by the General Medical Council and the Copdend Standards for Dental Educators. She is currently working with the Cardiff Unit for Research in Medical and Dental Recognition dental education on a nationally funded project to develop a framework for the recognition of interprofessional healthcare educators. She is a fellow of the Academy of Medical Educators and was elected vice chair of its council in 2015. She is a senior fellow of the Higher Education Academy and has been a GMC education associate since 2010. She has an extensive publication record in medical education including co-authoring two books, the most recent of which, Educators of Healthcare Professionals Agreeing a Shared Purpose, was published in 2021. Um, and just aside from that bio, um, I've known Julie for a few years. She's absolutely fa fabulous. Um, she is passionate about having fun in medical education, and her passion is sustained throughout her professional practices and also into her sort of areas of research as well she's absolutely fabulous and um, she uses the pronouns she her and she will tell you what her pronouns are in Welsh as well because she hails from sunny Wales if you want to tell us a little bit more about yourself Julie and tell us your pronouns in Welsh as well hi Katie hi Rob Noswetha um ava ragwena i yw hono a hi so that's just that's my pronouns in Welsh so. Perfect. We're going multilingual. I love this. <laughs> well, it's, it's important in, 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 in Cardiff. We, we, we teach quite a lot of our course through the medium of Welsh. Um, 
and um, I, I love to support the language where I can. I'm, I'm not a native Welsh speaker. I learned it as an adult, but um, I do what I can to, to support it um, among our students. And we've had some notable successes. Um, some of our students have presented it as me about their their experiences learning Welsh um, as Welsh medical students. And um, it, it's all been um, jolly good fun. Definitely. And I think that's all part of having sort of fun medical education as well. Like our topic is gamification, having fun and feeling included and being able to talk in your native language and um, respond to your sort of local demography and your your patients. It's, it's all part of having a more enjoyable medical education experience. So that's um, amazing. Thank you so much, Julie. Would you mind um, letting us know a little bit more about yourself and your career to date? Well, crimes, haven't you heard enough already? (laughs) That was quite a long list, wasn't it? Um, I I guess um, uh, it's important to say I I, I actually started out as an English teacher many years ago. I trained as an English teacher um, in Cardiff uh, following my first degree. And um, I intended to be a publisher. So... um, I, I worked for some time at the National Museum of Wales as a, as a publisher there and then got involved in academic um, uh, publishing. So I worked for a bit um, for a journal of um, sociology and um, landed um, very happily uh, in about 2000 uh, the, the wonderful job of managing editor of medical education. And um, I didn't realise what a wonderful community medical education actually is because um, for the first time ever, it was astonishing to me that people were were keen to teach me more, that uh, if you were interested in medical education, they'd carry on feeding your interest. And um, I ended up doing some little bits of research uh, in in journalology mostly, but uh, then I started teaching some SSCs and realized what a wonderful, wonderful um, discipline uh, medical education is. It's full of lovely, enthusiastic people who really want to make a difference in the world. And what I was I was just bowled over by the great charm of everybody I, I, I worked with. So um, I decided that I wanted to really, you know, put some effort in here and um, I carried on working at at, uh, medical education for seven years in which time we also set up the clinical teacher which as you know is medical education's little sister if you like um, which is designed to be a a slightly quicker read Uh, the the papers are shorter they're nice illustrations and so forth and it was designed to be read by um, you know people in the staff room if they ever got any time off which they probably don't these days but when we developed it it was the idea was that you'd you'd read a couple of um, papers during your coffee break if you had one Um, and uh, so it, it, it went from strength to strength. And, and over the years, of course, I must have read literally thousands. I, d- I did a bit of an estimate, and I think I probably read something like 4,000 medical education papers during my time. Wow, 4,000. Gosh, you're putting uh, all of us and probably most of our <laughs> listenership or audience to shame there. That's incredible. Well, probably one of the most well-read medical educators out there. <laughs> well, it was a bit of a crash course. Um, and uh, uh, I, I will say that I, I learned a lot from reading papers that didn't get accepted. I probably learned as much from reading ones that didn't get accepted as ones that did. 
Um, but it, it led me to want to pursue a career in, in, in um, medical education and, and in scholarship and teaching of medical education. And I became very concerned um, about the the way that medical education was seen and recognised, you know, it was seen very much, especially in those days, as, you know, just something that doctors do. You don't have to know how to do it. You don't have to be any good at it. You just, you know, turn up on the ward and blag it, you know, or give a, give a few lectures and, and that'll be fine. And um, as a journal, of course, we, we were desperately trying to encourage people to understand there is actually 60 years of research evidence we don't just make this up as we go along. You know, our curriculums aren't just chucked together and we don't do it because it's always been done that way. We actually have a, 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 a science behind it that I think people often forget. And um, uh, that's kind of where I, I ended up uh, at Cardiff, um, working very much there in, in, the, uh, in the field. And that's how I got into my current, current role as a senior lecturer. Um, and also, of course, the Academy of Medical Educators was part of that too. We, we, you know, it was, again, it was a very um, sincere attempt to professionalise medical education and to improve the role of, of educators. And that's sort of where my research has taken me. I think that's, I think there are a couple of things you've just said there that really resonate with me. And I think the first, and I'm sure many of our listeners will have felt this as well, is how friendly the medical education community is and how welcoming and accepting. Um, uh, at the ASME ASM a couple of weeks ago, it, it was amazing to see such a range of people from very, very senior educators down to medical students in their, their sort of probably from third year onwards and how everyone is prepared to talk to everyone and supportive and it's such a welcoming environment. And I don't think I had a conversation with one of the other members of the TASME committee about how you don't get that feel necessarily in academic conferences within medical specialties so um they're a surgical trainee and, and the idea that you'd get that level of friendliness at a surgical conference um was something that both of us weren't sure was the same so i think it, it's nice to know that that's not just in a conference setting but actually as a profession we're, we're clearly very open and welcoming and i'm sure that is one of our strengths I agree. Scratch a medical educator and, and you'll find a, a, a fanatic, really. We, we, we just love the opportunity to talk about medical education and we'll talk to anybody who wants to listen. <laughs> so please listen. Yeah, <laughs> listeners, listen. I, um, yeah, definitely. I have pretty much only gone to medical education conferences and I'm beginning to branch out now I'm getting into my specialty training and wow it is just such an amazing environment and I know that's not the topic of tonight's podcast but if there's any listeners out there that is a bit that may be a bit tentative about attending conferences or getting involved in events honestly we are a friendly bunch so please do come along and um, the other thing that I found really interesting actually is your background, it's really fascinating and quite different in the medical education field um, coming from an English background. And again, I know that's not the topic of tonight's podcast, but I would love to know what influences you use from your teaching background, especially teaching English. Do you bring any of those skills, passions, philosophies into your work now and how so? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I think um, the first is, of course, I'm really interested in medical humanities. Um, 
and uh, I, I have some quite. <laughs> if you ever want to uh, uh, talk to me again about medical humanities, I, I've, I've got some other opinions about that which I won't go into today. But well, um, just to say fun. that, so yes, um, please. Well, just to say that I, I, I sometimes think that the way that that the humanities are seen within medicine as um, a consolation or, or something to help people is is fair enough. But actually, what what medical humanities is supposed to do is to actually disrupt. Uh, art is there to to question and to challenge, and to to you know um, poke fun, if you like, at, at, at things. That, that's what the best art does. And if you think about the most famous artists, an awful lot of their work is quite subversive. Now, I quite like that. I think there is an element of subversiveness about medical education in the sense that what we're trying to do very much is to constantly question you know, is this the right way to do it? Is there a better way to do it? Could we think of something else? Um, so I, I think I think it, certainly my interest in English literature and, and, and the humanities in general has helped with that. But secondly, um, to be fair, I bring it in a lot. Um, we, we uh, on our intercalated degree in medical education, um, we talk very much about the patient as a text. And the idea, of course, is that you know, when when you're when you're studying literature, you you take a poem or a a book, and you subject it to various, if you like, um, lenses, theoretical approaches, and you ask yourself, you know, what what does it mean from this way? What would it mean from that angle? And um, the students um, get to meet patients, and then they uh, obviously listen to their their stories about their uh, long-term conditions and then they they examine them um, with the question in mind what what is the implication of this for medical education so if they meet a patient who is saying things like um, I've uh, I tried to communicate with my with my doctor but I, I, I couldn't get an answer we look at the question, well, well, okay, so so what is the message for medical education? What is it that we need to be teaching in our medical schools that, that perhaps this this um, this story might might tell us? Um, similarly, where they have great things to say, patients often have wonderful things to say about about doctors and, and that way that they've been helped. We ask the question, you know, well, okay, so so how does that how does that um, uh, reflect on on medicine and and medical practice, and how can we reflect that in our curriculum? So, um, I just hadn't intended to get into that, but <laughs> yeah, um, certainly having a, having a, a a background in that does, I think, you know, make you pretty much a jack of all trades when it comes to to looking at the way that things are spoken and expressed. I think that's really interesting, actually, and I think it's really helpful to have that bit of background. Um, because I'm sure that it really brings a different lens to the way you look at things. I, I like we often talk, don't we, about how how our backgrounds do influence how we see the world. Um, so it's been really int- interesting to hear about that. And I'm sure, actually, as we now go on to talk about the topic of tonight's podcast in in gamification, actually, I'm sure that some of that that lens and, and some of that idea around where medical humanities fits in will colour how you see gamification in a very different way to perhaps the way that Katie and I might might see it, both coming from a, 
having been medical students perspective, which is certainly I know the lens that I see it through more than anything else. Um, so I think the first thing to say is I, th I think you've picked a fantastic paper for us to look at this evening in, in terms of the fact that it, it gives such a lighthearted view and it, it made me smile reading it. And I think that's always a good start um, with a paper. Uh, Katie, did you want to, to just give a brief overview of it? Yes, absolutely. So um, if you're listening um, to tonight's podcast, um, all the details of um, the, the paper it will be there. And um, we will be talking about the elephant criteria in medical education. Can medical education be fun? What a great provocative title. Can it be fun? And I think we're going to have a bit of fun discussing this and also our different perspectives on fun in education and gamification. Um, it was written in 2010 um, by Hugh Gifford and Aravinthan Varatharav. I'm sorry if I've pronounced those names wrong. I don't know either of the authors um, and it's available in Medical Teacher. I'm just going to read the abstract so that you get a bit of a sense of what the paper is about if you haven't yet read it or you don't fancy reading it. Although maybe we could take a leaf out of Julie's book and try and read a few more papers as well. So the abstract um, basically says um, hilarity and a good nature and a breezy cheerfulness help enormously in the study and the practice of medicine, said Sir William Osler, Regis Professor of Medicine at Oxford, pioneering medical educationist and arguably one of the greatest physicians of all time. We present that one, encouraging learning two, entertaining people, and three, having a nice time are dangerously powerful adjuncts to medical education. These are, by acronym, the ELEPHANT criteria. Encouraging is the motivating heart of the matter. Entertainment engages the mind and has been shown to enhance working memory and recall. Enjoyment is associated with deep learning, which comes with a whole host of benefits. However, learning in fear in, and misery can be an effective tool but for other reasons. And the pessimistic personality type may respond badly to fun learning. Even so, medical education that fulfills the elephant criteria can be an effective tool in training young doctors. Great paper, really fun. Um, I loved reading it as well. It's just one of these things that it just brings it brings a smile to your face and I don't often say that when reading sorry Julie and when reading academic papers I'm I'm so bad at focusing don't know I'm sort of on the tail end of being a millennial and I'm sure that some of our listeners out there are maybe a similar sort of ages stages of training and equally struggle to read academic work um, and I think that's one of the reasons that drove us to start a podcast because we like digestible easy to consume fun um, fun education and that's what tonight's all about but this paper is fun it is easy to read it is quick so have have a little look over it if you're fancying learning a bit more first of all Julie why did you choose this paper for us tell us more <laughs> well to be fair it, it isn't exactly a paper it is only a, a commentary and it, it's a, just a nice review of the literature um but I, I liked it because um it summarises up something that I, I really think is important in medical education. You know, that there is still a, if you like, a, 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 a rump of, of teachers who think that un, unless the students are having a bad time, they can't possibly be learning. And I, I mean, there was a paper by Lambert Schuerth, um back in the, ooh, 
I can't give you a date in medical education some years back, we, the title was Learning by Scar Formation. The idea being that unless you, you know, beat information into a student, they won't remember it. Um, and I think that, that especially with, you know, student well-being such a, 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 an important issue at the moment on everybody's agenda, you know, our learners are, are struggling, they're more stressed and so forth. Why, if we have the choice between teaching them something in the ordinary way or teaching them the same thing in a fun way, why aren't we choosing the fun option? Um, it, it seems such an obvious thing to say, but but yet um, you still think, I still think that there's quite a lot of people who think, well, it's a bit beneath my dignity to be entertaining my students. I'm not there to entertain them. I'm there to, 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 to impart information. Um, so I liked it from that perspective. The other thing is, I, I, I don't know the authors either, but I suspect they, 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 they are fairly new in their, in their career. And, you know, if they can't tell us what sort of things they want from learning, then we have no right to be educators. We need to listen to our students and what they want um, and, and to respond when things change. Um, the other thing is, actually, they do a fairly good job of reviewing the literature um, on uh, the what, what's known as the, the affect, what, how your feelings affect how you learn in, in education, and and they, they 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 it's not a it's not an entirely one sided. Let's all have a lovely time. They they do actually look at the question of does uh, having a good time as a, as a learner help you learn, and they do admit that in some circumstances that it doesn't, but. Um, on the whole, I think their their perspective is pretty much the same as mine. That um, you know, if you can make it fun, why shouldn't you? I think that's um, I think it's a really good point, actually, and something I wanted to pick up on is um, I guess we see that gamification is a topic that is growing. It's something I've seen over the last few years at medical education conferences. You see early career educators bringing topics that really are the way often they bring and present their innovative work about how they've taught something in a different way. And, and there's often a fun dynamic, but is there a more robust theoretical research or evidence base, sorry, for that in medical education particularly? Well, um, the, the short, the short answer is yes, but there is obviously a long answer because that's the way of it. Um, I, the first thing to say is, because we know, don't we, that playing and learning go hand in hand. That's how children learn. Um, and, and often we learn through making mistakes. And the good thing about games is that they allow you to make mistakes in a safe environment. So to that extent, you might say even um, something as um, ostensibly serious as simulation and uh, medical you know clinical simulation is 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 actually game like and uh, we know it's popular with students for, for the same reason that you know you can experiment you can you can learn you can test your abilities and so forth so um, children definitely uh, learn through play we all still learn through play through trial and error um, and I think Interesting, I did look a little bit at some of the literature um, because um, I left working for the journal 
medical education in the in the in the late noughties and actually there was nothing on games in those days and um, it turns out there was actually a Cochrane review of games in medical education um, done in about 2006 in which they identified one paper literally one since then of course we know that there's been an absolute boom in it everybody's looking into it um for a lot of reasons um so you know let's be frank we we know um we we know that our, our students are stressed we want them to have a nice time so that would be a good reason for doing it there are some some other motives that that perhaps i i'm not so not quite so convinced about one is that for example as teachers we know that medical students are competitive and we can use games, can't we, to encourage them to compete against each other. Um, whether I think that's a good thing, I'm not so sure. Uh, I think they'll compete against each other whether we give them opportunities to or not. Um, and actually encouraging teamwork is potentially something that we should be thinking about much more in medical education, but okay. Um, but the other thing, thing that's important to say is that, you know, modern students are, they're expert gamers already. So why not? They're they're much more visual learners. I mean, um, you know, we we can joke, but when I studied um, literature back in the seventies, it was quite normal to see people on on buses and trains carrying books and newspapers and things. Nowadays, you're more likely to have your phone in your hand and be listening to a podcast. That's great, but but the world is changing. We you know how people how people want to to gain information has changed and we need to respond to that. Um, I'm also wondering whether some of it's to do with um, a function of the fact that actually more younger people are involved in medical education now than were. Um, people your generation, um, you know, it, it, again, it's, it's natural to you to be developing online presences and thinking of, you know, um, new ways of approaching it. Um, and, and, you know, some of the old guard are, are, are struggling to catch up. I, I, I admit, um, I, <laughs> I was there. I played the first game of Pong on my mother's tele television <laughs> in about 19, 1977, probably during a heat wave in 1976, if I think about it. Um, you look too young, Julie. <laughs> you can't see her, but she looks amazing. I was it? fishing for that. I was actually. <laughs> but no, but, but the, the point is that, that in that, you know, I was already an adult before things like video games became, became commonplace. So um, for me, it's not such a natural medium, but it is for you. And therefore, it doesn't surprise me that so many wonderful games are being created by, by uh, younger doctors and, and medical students. I, th I think it's interesting when you talk about sort of like the grassroots and like the earlier career educators bringing through what they know and mentioning video games and I find like I'm to be quite honest I'm a bit of a technophobe and um, I'm not I'm not great with technology and sort of AI and that side of things and gamification makes me a little bit nervous and when we talk about in medical education I'm always willing to learn more and think about other ways of developing um, myself as an educator who's interested in making medical education 
fun and involving gamification. Um, I know that you have actually been involved in some gamification as well, um, Julie, and I think coming from somebody who's saying that they're equally sort of maybe a little bit sort of less experienced with maybe developing something like an online game or something, what what is out there? What what can you um, inform our listeners about if you know anything? And Rob as well, what, what's going on in the world of gamification and medical education? Well, the, the game that you're referring to, uh, Katie, was, was, is one that I've been working on and it's it's actually a it's almost a um it's a deliberately low-tech game i'll explain why we developed it um so um on our integrated degree in medical education we want to try to encourage our students to 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 synthesize their knowledge to to put to create new stuff um so we don't just teach them information we want them to actually put that information together and make something new um, and we found that they're really very good at it. Of course they are. Um, but when it came to coming up with education innovations, because they didn't actually see very many of them their own around, um, they were they tended to fall back on ideas that were, you know, had been tried and trusted, which is fair enough. But what we wanted to do was try and free the process up a bit. So um, uh, a colleague and I, Katie Webb and I, came up with this card game called Cardiff. Um, which is a is designed to be played in in teams, and it's designed to be collaborative, and it's deliberately low com- competition. The reason that we did this was because um, partly, we, we, again, we were looking for games that might we might use, and we were a bit disappointed. Actually, we we couldn't find any that there were for medical educators. But when we looked more into the state of games in med- medical education, we realised that. There are loads and loads of games for teaching medical knowledge. There are um, most of them. I mean, th- th- there's a paper by Gorbanev um, in 2018. He did a systematic review of, of games in medical education. He found that, that most games tended to concentrate on, on knowledge recall. So, you know, we'll teach the names for some things and then you give them back to us in one form or another. Um they were often simulations and quizzes that were focused on on like knowledge retention and repetition and, and games like that. The really striking thing that, that came for, for us was that that uh, a very very tiny number actually have a very humanist line, which is to say that they had any kind of real focus on on um, social interactive. Uh, human uh, factors that they were designed to either be played alone or played in competition against other people. Um, And the worst bit of information was that actual evidence that learning is either retained or used from many of these games is very weak indeed. So um, our card game was, was very much designed as a sort of an antidote to some of that. Um, and we've played it loads of times. People like it, so fine. Um, but I, I, I think if if any of your listeners here are interested in developing educational games, I, I'd like to just throw down the challenge, really, and say, you know, can you come up with um, the kind of games that 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 actually uh, how can I put it politely that 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 actually inculcate or reinforce some of the positive behaviors that we want people to show when they get into clinical practice 
respect for other people, teamwork, collaboration, you know, creating uh, knowledge together, rather than simply winning the game and beating the opposition. Spot on. I love that. I love that. And I'm already having these ideas of some collaborative I love a games evening a collaborative sort of like interprofessional learning game if anybody's out there maybe we could make that as a group or something some sort of MDT style board game could be fun one of the things that's really interesting (laughs) about this is how challenging it actually is to come up with good games and how much time and effort goes in and I think coming back to some of the things we were talking about about um perhaps one of the reasons that this is becoming more popular and potentially more so with uh, younger doctors that uh, take on medical education roles and potentially particularly clinical teaching fellows who potentially have more time to think about how they approach teaching rather than going actually I'm the consultant and I deliver this lecture on an annual basis or a monthly basis whatever it might be and I have my materials so I'll deliver it that way like I always have. I know when I was I would take I looked at everything I had to teach and thought about how I was going to do it from the beginning because I had the time to do that. And uh, like anyone who's ever been taught by me will know that I love a card sort. And a card sort is clearly at a very basic level. It's fun. It's it's deliberately a game. But fundamentally, we're talking it's, it's, it's relatively straightforward to do. But it certainly takes more effort than trying to cover the same information in just a PowerPoint. And that's not to, that's not to belittle PowerPoint um, at all, but actually, well, sorry, sorry to interrupt. Do you mind explaining for our listeners what a card sort is, please? Sorry. So, so at a very basic level, I'm talking about where you give someone a pack of um, of squares that might have a word or a definition in them, and the idea would be that you would match them. Um, so, so simply, I used to do it. Um, uh, an example might be that you'd um I can't even think of it. I, can, I can think of one example I did and it's not necessarily the the most appropriate to discuss on this podcast but I'll give you the potted overview so so essentially when I was teaching um fourth year students from variety of backgrounds at the start of their obsgynian sexual health placement I was conscious that there was potentially a cultural imbalance between understanding of non-medical words related to sexual health um, and so we did it as a card sort in order to try and make it fun and to sort of take out some of the stress or pressure and, and deliberately allow people to laugh a little bit as the, some of the word choices were quite amusing. And the idea was that they had to sort the cards in there were various words and they had to sort them as to whether they were either a slang word relating to vagina, a slang word relating to penis, or whether they were a a sexual function for want of a better way of putting it and then there were some others that were the and the ones that fell in the other category there was a card that they had to match it with their definition as well and it was it was aimed that the chances were that the vast majority of UK educated um, individuals would probably be familiar with most of the cards but those potentially that came from um, international backgrounds and were international students based um, on our placement may struggle slightly more and that was that was one of the first things um, I did with them when they first started but as I said it was meant to be straightforward easy but the fun was meant to sort of take away some of that stress or embarrassment is the word that I guess I'm looking for and to to uh, take that away um, so that was one of my favorite card games that I've ever made. 
<laughs> Sounds brilliant and great fun. fun. <laughs> and not competitive either. So it, it fits yeah. that criteria that Julie's pushing away from, which I think is a great idea because, you know, healthcare, we, we don't work in silos. We work as a multidisciplinary team. And as medical educators, we should be thinking like that but and I think it's excellent that you know um, having a fresh perspective and even on tonight's podcast having you here Julie with a non-clinical background is it's is really refreshing and it's really helpful to think about all those different um, facets of healthcare medicine and how gamification and fun can forward um, forward some of those thought processes rather than just thinking about that um, handing over of information which we know is not a particularly good way of educating people well indeed and that's what I like about uh, about Rob's game in a way I I, I think one of the things um, uh, a bit of bit of uh, theory here you know have you, I I I I, I, I don't want to teach my grandmother to suck eggs, as it were, but um, you know, Bloom's taxonomy is is a very sort of well known list, isn't it, of of the way that people learn. So, you know, you start at the bottom with knowledge and recall and and understanding and can describe, and then you go up through the levels to to you know evaluation and 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 so forth, and then you get to the top and it's analysis and synthesizing new ideas and creating new ideas. Um, but people tend to overlook the fact that there are actually three taxonomies of that Bloom's has got the three. Um, so in addition to the cognitive skills that we've mentioned, um, th- there's these uh, psychomotor skills and affective skills. And the idea, in my view, is that what you really want to try to do is to create a game that has all of those things involved in it. And th- that way, you, you can you can very much increase the learning, especially where people's emotions are involved. I mean, you know, your game was was an absolute um, classic uh, uh, example of where it could have been so embarrassing, not just to not just to have to deliver a lecture on on um, sex terminology, but but to, to even be in the audience for some people. And then, of course, the risk of making a mistake, you know, there's a lot of social embarrassment there. So Hey, um, you know, take the embarrassment out. Let people fail. Let people have a giggle in a low-stakes environment. It works perfectly. I think that's a, a great example of where you know a game can can make a big difference to how people learn and indeed how they remember stuff. I think interestingly, you say that about the social impact, like, but there is absolutely when I thought about why I created this game. Part of the reason is because I didn't want to have to stand there and deliver essentially a didactic lecture on this topic and just read a list of words and it was a way of it was a way of not having to do that and um and it did you're right it really diffused that situation um in fact the only person who found it embarrassing and I'm, I, I apologize in advance but was the administrator who had to laminate the cards and uh, cut them up for me who uh, was um he found it quite awkward, but bless her. Um. <laughs> I love this. I, I, leading on from that, I think this is really interesting. And we've chosen, you know, it's it's a lighthearted topic. And some of those, you know, there's clear reasons why we choose games in some of these um, situations and sort of learning experiences. And in the in the paper, it actually mentions in terms of like going into that sort of, 
fun learning events and and Julie's already mentioned it um that the mood has to be right and the tone has to be right and the the people that are either learners or educators need to be in the right mindset to enjoy not enjoy but to benefit from fun learning and per se gamification so I, I don't know whether we might have a bit of a conversation about that and like what's off limits like when we're talking about gamification like are things that sh- should serious topics not be gamified I, I don't know and and I think could, could this be a bit of a fad as well in the back of my mind um I hope not but what what are your thoughts on that Julian Rob the first thing is I definitely don't think it's a fad. Um, as I said, you know, when, when I sat there um, watching Pong on my tea, black and white TV back in 1976, I, I thought, well, that's, that's, that is a fad. That's never going to last. But that's because I didn't know what it could become. Now, I have a feeling that, that if our educational games don't up their game, if you like, then it could indeed be a fad. Um, if, you know, that, that um, games that simply teach you to recall um, the names of things, and, and I'm not talking about Rob's game here because obviously that had a, a different function, but, you know, the, 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 uh, there's nothing wrong with a, a game that teaches you. In fact, it's, it's, it's very useful if you've got a game that teaches you things like the bones of the foot and you're going to have an exam on the bones of the foot, then clearly that's going to be a very useful learning tool for you. But if games only stay at that level and and can't actually produce higher levels of learning, then that's where they'll remain as as an adjunct to to medical education because we can do it better than that. Um, education already, as we've said, involves you know medical education itself already involves gamified elements in terms of you know virtual headsets, the you know the the the, the, the clinical skills learning. I mean, what are uh, Sim Man and um, Harvey if they're not just enormous games to play on? Um, so I, I think I think if, if designing computer games, if, if the computer gamers will need to up their game a little bit, um, and hopefully, as I've said, there'll be much more of a, an, an effort to to think a bit more about the hidden curriculum of the game that is being played. So that it isn't about always about coming out victorious and beating off the opposition or gaining a new sword so that you can go slashing your way through the forest of medical terminology that you need to learn or whatever. And actually, sorry. I love it. Actually, they'll become a bit more um, um, focused on, on, on what the main aim of medical education is, which is, of course, to produce better clinicians in the end. And and obviously from that better like better patient care as well. I think that's definitely Precisely. a focus. And I think yeah, I was being a bit, I was being purposefully provocative there, asking whether it was a fad. And I think yeah, you can if you've got your mood, um, your learners in the right mindset and in the right uh, mood. Then actually, I don't think there's many topics that could be off limits. And even serious, sensitive discussions when we talk about breaking bad news, I think. We, we simulate that all the time. Is there not a way that we could create a game or, you know, virtual reality whilst you're doing that as a team? There's so many things that could become a possibility. And I, I think you're spot on. I think technology is um, is a limiting factor. And especially with your typical educationalists um, coming from potentially 
clinical academic backgrounds I think there is so much scope to get people that are more involved involved you know games developers um, engineers all sorts of things that I don't understand (laughs) involved in medical education essentially it's a whole whole sort of I think you're right but it is true also to say that some people are are resistant Mm. um I I, again I there's a a fantastic paper came out um about a couple of years ago um in PNAS it was Delorier um which was talking about perceptions why they were asking an interesting question why do students feel that they learn more in a lecture in an entertaining lecture than they do if they're doing something active uh, in a you know a more active uh, sort of group-based discussion and they came up with a, a very interesting answer which is actually active learning the kind that happens in games makes you think harder and because you're thinking harder, you think you're not learning anything. There's a, a, a kind of uh, counterintuitive perception there that you're learning such such an awful lot because you've got all this data coming in from every direction that you actually feel that you're failing to learn stuff and you're, you're not learning anything. Whereas in a, a, a superstar lecture theatre, you feel that you're learning a great deal, but that's because actually the amount of active engagement that you've got in your learning is very limited. So I think it's important to to say that 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 you know some people listening will be saying I'm a serious person I play serious I I I do serious work I I take lots of lecture notes I go to lectures I listen to hard you know um uh, podcasts and uh, you know and, and so forth and I don't waste my time on games but I I think uh, I have to tell you that the educational literature is not not with you there guys um that actually Getting stuck in, getting involved, um, working together in a team to, to create new knowledge, working at the higher levels of Bloom's taxonomy actually is going to help your learning a lot more in the long run. I think building on that, actually, I think, again, a really interesting point, because if I think back to from a more retention perspective, if I think back to my secondary school experiences and the things that I actually remember... And it's not only that I remember the learning experience, it's I remember what I learned. The one thing nearly all of them have in common is that they were fun. And on top of that, the vast majority weren't just fun, but do by yourself. They were fun working as a team or in a group. And I think it's really, really interesting that they're the things that I particularly, don't get me wrong, I, I remember an unnecessary quantity of mathematics and I don't imagine we did an awful lot of fun mathematical things I apologize Mrs Smith in advance Mrs Smith is my maths teacher but actually fundamentally I do think in other subjects that that plays out and so if we want people to retain stuff and we obviously want them to retain it ideally (laughs) I think that is part of the point then actually there's got anecdotally my evidence would be for me that it works and I know that's backed up to some extent but we're not very good in medical education necessarily at collecting that real long-term data are we and I, I know it's messy um how, how do you know what's influenced that but uh, certainly in my own experience I would say that it does make a difference I don't know what you think Katie well uh f- f- first of all I'd, I'd, I'd take some issue w- with you about 
about the evidence. That's something again that's often charged. Medical education is often charged with, you know, where's the evidence? Where are the randomised controlled trials? It's true. Um, things are messy in medical education. It's really difficult to prove anything. Um, you, you can't prove anything uh, comprehensively and beyond a shadow of a doubt in the way that you can with science. As I was saying earlier, that there, there is, you know, 60 years of cumulative evidence about what works, and um, you know, it, it's it's evidence that may have come from perhaps hundreds of smaller papers, but it's there. And one of the big messages of medical education is social theories of learning that we learn best as a community when we're exchanging information socially in social settings. Um, we all know this instinctively, don't we? That you know, we rely on our role models to teach us how to how to become good at our jobs. We 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 learn from each other about you know what works and what doesn't work. That's how we refine our learning skills. You know, we we we, we work with each other and learn stuff that way. We're, we're constantly learning from each other. And I, I, again, you know, games play straight into that body of literature. So. Let's go for it. Thank you so much. Um, honestly, it's been incredibly interesting listening to you. And I have definitely enjoyed myself. I've definitely been <laughs> educated and I've had, I don't want to say a nice time because nice is such a, and as an English teacher, you probably agree, nice is a rubbish adjective, but I've had a really, really nice time. No, I'm joking. I've had a thoroughly <laughs> enjoyable time. Um, to sort of tie up this evening's discussion on fun in education and gamification um, for our listeners Julie, what would be your, you've given us loads and loads of valuable information, um, but what would be your take-home messages? What would you encourage um, our our listeners to go away and do? Um, I would say uh, keep playing, keep playing games, keep thinking about, you know, what the value is. Um, you, you know, obviously, you know, learning isn't always, always uh, having fun. There are some things that you have to learn that can't probably uh, be easily put into a game or that the game that you want to play doesn't exist. But medical education is supposed to be fun. Um, medical practice although it probably isn't for many people much of the time, is supposed to be rewarding and enjoyable and satisfying. And to give you all of those positive feelings of achievement that, that you get from, you know, winning a game. So, you know, um, enjoy it. But as I said, um, my, my big message here is let's think much more about how we can play collaboratively. We can help each other along. Um, that, that we can be positive and, and build each other up rather than concentrating on those kind of games where we're, we're pulling other people down in order to get ahead. Um, and I think that would be my closing message. I, I think that's a beautiful message and really like I'm completely enraptured by how, how humane your understanding of medical education and clinical practices. And I think every learner and educator would benefit from having a Julie in their faculty honestly it's it's so so important and completely resonates with my 
beliefs and values in medical education and 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 in healthcare and and practicing as a doctor it, it should be fun it's a privilege it's uh, an absolute you know and that, that can be difficult to hold on to and I think we've spoken a lot about undergraduate education but I think definitely postgraduate education could benefit from more fun and gamification as well and letting our our staff and qualified professionals just have fun in their learning is something that we could all do with especially during trying times so thank you so so much sorry I think Rob sorry Rob do you want to add something there I was only going to say I think I think that you've just hit the nail on the head for part two there Katie gamification in postgraduate medical yeah there we go <laughs> this time next year when hopefully it won't be 40 degrees um, <laughs> Yeah, it's currently just for our listeners who might not be listening straight after it's been released. It, we're recording this during the heat wave and we're all in various degrees of warmth and <laughs> probably a bit of discomfort. So I hope you have enjoyed us talking and you haven't been able to sense that at all. Um, Julie, you have been absolutely fabulous. Honestly, um, very obviously so knowledgeable, educated, um, eloquent and challenging as well which is just what you need um it's it's been absolutely it's been a pleasure honestly thank you so much for your time not at all i'm really absolutely honored to 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 be invited to speak today and i you know congratulations i can't i can't uh, i can't say how how impressed i am with with uh, you know everything that you're doing for for tasmi it's a wonderful organization um i i've uh, loved asmi and and everything that goes with it of course since i started work on the ASME journals, um, and I'm I'm just thrilled to see the new generation of medical educators coming through, and you're going to go places we've not dreamed of yet. I can't wait to see it happen. Thank you. <laughs> Hope so. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us today. I wanted to say a very special thank you to our guest, Julie Brown, for her amazing insights on the topic. And thank you also to my brilliant co-host, Dr. Katie Stevenson. As always, I'd like to thank Dr. Asim Javed, who edits these episodes, Dr. Cleone Pardo for all of her support with publicity, and to Am Lunya, who made our theme music. Finally, thank you to everyone on the TASME committee who supports with the production of this podcast. I've been Dr. Rob Cullum. You can find out more about TASME, ASME and our many other subgroups at asme.org.uk and please do make sure that you follow us on Twitter with the handle at TASME underscore UK. Join us next time for our fifth episode where we will be discussing interprofessional education with Professor Liz Anderson from the University of Leicester. Thank you for listening to TASME Time and we look forward to seeing you again soon.